This is Tim Newton, the voice of Purdue football. You're listening to Sports Yak, the number one sports podcast on the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Actually, the only sports podcast on the network. It's football time. Fall, broken bones, cheerleaders, hot dogs, mascots. I miss my mommy. Are you ready for football? It's time to tailgate. Mascots are stupid. Time to break some bones. Touchdown. Corey Mann. Or is he a man? Maybe he's just a boy crying to his mother. Chuck Freebie. Is it really free? He gets a paycheck. Sports Yak with Corey Mann. And somebody named Fremont or Freebie. Download wherever you download podcasts. That's kind of stupid. Where else would you go? And away we go with episode 128 of the Sports Yak podcast. That is the Kai Kai Kyler episode. Stand by. Kai 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 Kyler? Kai Kai Kyler. How many? Two of them? Kai Kai. Kai Kai is his first name. Kyler is his last name. All right. Where Kai, are we, Kai Kyler. Where are we going with this? Well, Kai Kai Kyler is a former Chicago Cup player back in the 1920s, and he has hit 128 home runs in his big league career. What a great name. Kai Kai Kyler. So, terrific, uh, terrific ball player back in the day. Had a very good career. Hit 321, 328 stolen bases in his career. Uh, played for... Pittsburgh, the Cubs, the Reds, and closed his career in Brooklyn in 1938. Kai Kai Kyler. You got his baseball card? Uh, No, I don't. No. No. Well, let's get underway. Speaking of the Chicago Cubs, what in the name of all that's holy in this world happened last night? Corey, I go to bed last night because I got to wake up and come in here and be with you. And I go to bed last night. It's 5 nothing Cubs going to the 8th. And I thought, five-run lead. Not even the Cub bullpen could blow that. Darvish and on the mound, right? Darvish had been on the mound and had not run up the pitch count all that much. I thought he might go back for the eighth, but I checked my phone real quick before hitting the sack, and I saw that Kyle Ryan was in. I said, okay, Kyle Ryan, go get him and close this thing out. And clearly he didn't. Um, the Cub bullpen said, oh, Chuck, he thinks we can't blow a five-run lead. Hold our beer. And uh, they went out there and blew a five-run lead and lost 7-5, to five, the last four scoring on a Bryce Harper walk-off grand slam in the bottom of the ninth. And that dude ran full speed all the bases. Because he was excited. He said it was one of the coolest moments in his career, and he's had a pretty good career. Six runs score in the bottom of the ninth. Cub pitchers only got one out in the bottom of the ninth. Um... Uh, it was just, it was a disaster. What's happening here? What's going on? The, this team has not played well on the road, and it shows once again. They go into Philadelphia. They they're, they lose the first game. It was 2-2 going late. Bullpen lost it. Okay, that happens now and then, especially on the road. Non-competitive Wednesday night. They lose 11-1. Cole Hamels gets beaten like a pinata. And then last night, well, here's your here's your bottom of the ninth. Cubs took a 5-1 lead into the bottom of the ninth. Rowan Wick started the inning, and he got the first batter, Gene Segura, to fly out. 
Then David Bodie makes an error at shortstop. Jeff or Mike Kingery singles, and uh, Hernandez goes to second. Pinch hitter comes up and singles. It's 5-2. They bring in Pedro Strope. He singles. That brings in another run. It's 5-3. Then Strope hits a batter with a pitch. They bring in Derek Holland to go lefty versus lefty versus Harper. It doesn't make any difference. He hits one into the second deck. The Cub right fielder never went back on the ball. He saw the ball come off the bat and just started headed to the dugout. Mm. So 7-5, the Phillies win it. And now the Cubs are 64-57 and 57 for the year. They're 15 under 500 on the road. They go to Pittsburgh for a three-game series. I had asked the question on 46 Sports Twitter and Facebook before this road trip started. How do you think the Cubs will do on this road trip? And I'm going to have to go into my Twitter file and, and see what happened here, but I am pretty sure that once again, the optimistic people that follow 46 sports, because they were given three options. You were given the option, they're going to have a winning record, Mm -hmm. they're going to finish 500, or they're going to have a losing record. And to be honest, uh, I thought losing record because, well, that's the way they've played all year. But the good people who follow 46 sports uh, saw it differently. And they thought, oh, no, 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 everything's going to be just fine. Well, everything is not just fine. They're 2-5 and five on the road trip. And that bullpen just stunk up the joint last night. Stunk! I saw Ben Zobrist is in Iowa. Went 0-3 for 3 last night, but yeah. he's in Iowa. So he's, he's making his way up, and he's doing fine. But, you know, Ben Zobrist is not the answer to this problem. No. I'm he, just saying as a fan of his play... I am looking forward to him being at Wrigley Field. Well, I I can understand that. Yeah. but Whether or not he does play, you know. Unless he's pitching out of the bullpen. Have you seen him? Has he talked to the press at all yet? No, not yet. He's not going to talk to the press until he gets to Chicago. Okay. And even then, we'll see. Okay. I'm still going back to get the numbers here. I couldn't find it on your Twitter. Well, it's it's way down the list here. Oh, okay. You know, we we've had a lot of tweets since uh, the road trip started last Thursday. Here we go. Forty three percent thought the Cubs would have a winning record on the road trip. Twenty two percent five and five. So thirty five percent of the forty six sports followers actually got it right and said losing record. Now. Granted, they could sweep the Pirates and at least get it to 5-5, five and five, but they will not have a winning record on the road trip. White Sox took on the Angels last night, lost 8-7. Mike Trout, 40th homer of the year. And I guess you could legitimately ask the question, is Mike Trout the best player in baseball right now? I think he is. I think as an all-around talent, he's the best player in baseball. The problem is he's in Anaheim, and the Angels are second fiddle in that city behind the Dodgers, and they're not in the pennant race. So and a lot of people out east don't see him play all the time because he is in Anaheim and plays in that American League West schedule. Great player, not on a great team. Exactly, which, you know, it's not the first time that that's happened in baseball history. Uh, But the interesting thing about the White Sox, and this shows you how far they've fallen, is the fact that they're touting this broadcast tonight Jason Benetti is the TV voice of the White Sox. Okay. Normally he works with Steve Stone. Each in each half of the season, Stoney can take one road trip off. And he's taking this trip to Anaheim off. 
And so they're filling in with guest analysts. And tonight, the guest analyst is Bill Walton from ESPN's basketball coverage. Walton and Benetti did some games at the Maui Invitational last year that were just, they were out there. Yeah. So you could have nine innings of out there tonight. (laughs) It's a late night game. That might be perfect for you. Oh, boy. Tigers lost yesterday 7-2. to two. I'm not sure why we even mentioned the Tigers on this show, other than the fact that they're Notre Dame hockey coach Jeff Jackson's favorite team, and he went to the game at Comerica yesterday. Well, he grew up in Michigan. You know, if you're a Michigan kid, you grew up with the Tigers. Terry McFadden grew up a Tigers fan, but they stink. South Bend Cubs lost to Lake County last night 2-1. They are in the thick of a playoff chase, but they've got a big road trip they're on right now. This was game two of a seven-game road trip, so we'll see how Buddy Bailey's team fares there. Before we move into high school football, we did not touch on it all, and I don't know if it's because we forgot or you don't want to. I'll just say the name, and then you decide. Lou Holtz. Oh, no, I'm fine about talking with about Lou Holtz. We, we, we kind of zipped right past that, and you had a, a great uh, interaction with him. Yeah, Coach Holtz was in town. He was brought to town by uh, Misty Harbor Boat Company to speak at its dealers meeting this week at Century Center. And George Thomas, who is one of the co-owners of Misty Harbor, said, hey, you covered Coach Holtz a lot. Would you mind introducing him? And so I was happy to go over to Century Center uh on Tuesday and introduce Coach Holtz and just try to share some of my interactions with him over the years. So I got to Century Center uh, before the event started and Coach was already there and talking to some of the employees just informally Mm -hmm. where they had some of the boats. So then they uh, whisked Coach Holtz and I off to a green room and Coach kindly asked how my family was doing. And uh, I filled him in, and especially on Mary and her recovery from the bone marrow transplant and everything. So he wanted to know how each of my kids was doing, and then I, in turn, asked him how his kids were doing because I was in school with um, Skip. Skip and Kevin, and then Liz was an intern for me at WNDU. Oh, okay. So I, I interacted with three of the four, and it was nice to hear about them and their lives and his grandkids because I— and one of the stories I told the dealers was I could remember Lou on the practice field. Everybody sees him as this intense, fiery competitor, and he is. But then after practice, this little one-year-old grandchild, Trey, it was in his little Notre Dame uniform toddling around, and Lou was acting like he was going to chase him and things like that. And it, it was just it was a wonderful way to see that switch get flipped off and him go from this fiery coach to the doting grandfather. Mm-hmm. He said something about, a, he had a backpack story that I found fascinating. He carries, well, he used to carry a uh, briefcase with him, but he's had back surgery. And in order to keep the balance on his back, now he carries his supplies in a backpack. And one of the fans that was there came up to him and had one of those blue footballs that you purchased at the Notre Dame bookstore and wanted him to sign it, but he had a black marker. Well, Uh, anybody who's ever put black on blue understands it doesn't really show up that much. Right. So Luke says, oh, wait a minute, I've got a pen that'll work better. And he turns to his backpack and he's going through it. He's got 15 different colored pens in there and one of them's gold so that he, just from the experience, he always wants to be prepared for something like that. 
Then he went over and talked to the Notre Dame football team at practice. And uh, Fighting Irish Digital Media ran some of that on social media this week, and we retweeted it. He is still a compelling motivational speaker, Mm -hmm. whether it's to a group of boat dealers or to a football team. I think I asked you in the other room, what was your big takeaway from him? Was it it trust he talked about? Trust, love, and commitment has always been a theme in one of his talks. Mm -hmm. And he talked about the team that he had at South Carolina, where they were 0-11 his first season. And then in May, uh, as spring ball is wrapping up, he finds out two of his players have been arrested for dealing drugs. And he calls a team meeting, and he said, why? He goes, some of you had to know this was going on. Why didn't you trust me and tell me? And there's a long silence. And finally, a sophomore walk-on gets up. And he goes, Coach, I trust you, and I trust some people on this team, but I don't trust a lot of you because X, 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 X. And then another guy stood up, and he goes, yeah, I can back that up because I have to put an extra lock on my locker because I know if I don't, I'm going to have stuff ripped out of it because it's happened before. So Lou says to a manager, all right, I want you to get sheet of paper to every guy, and I want him to write down all the grievances he has with this program and bring him to a team meeting tomorrow at 2 o'clock. He goes, now South Carolina had a graveyard outside their locker room that they had constructed and they put a tombstone up for all the big wins that they had. They made a tombstone for the opponent. He goes, it wasn't a very big graveyard. He goes, but we had a hole dug and a big black rock out there. And I had every guy bring out that sheet that they put all their grievances on and put them into the hole. He goes, I don't know what's happened in this program in the past. He goes, but from now on, this stuff is history. We're burying it and we're starting anew. That second year at South Carolina, he went from 0-11 to a team that beat Ohio State in a bowl game. Hmm. How long was he in South Carolina? Six years. Six years? Yeah. Okay. Good deal. You got some time with him. That's cool. No, it was was fun. It was nice to reconnect. It's jamboree time. It's jamboree time. Where's my tambourine? It's jamboree time, Chuck. High school football jamborees are tonight, uh, either jamborees or scrimmages. The difference is a jamboree, you've got a four-team field. So, for instance, uh, over at Goshen, they have Goshen, Fairfield, Jimtown, and Bremen. Um, Each team will play two quarters in that. So, Goshen, because they open up with Fairfield, Goshen will play a quarter against Jimtown and a quarter against Bremen. What are high school coaches looking for with that limited amount of time tonight? Well, that's that's a good question. Uh, this, either Whether it's a scrimmage or a jamboree, mm-hmm. it's a controlled environment. In other words, you uh, there are going to be 15 plays that you get to run on offense in that quarter and 15 that you're going to play on defense. You're not going to be able to play any special teams unless you work that out with the other coach that we're going to do a special team section here, and then that has parameters put on it as well. In some schools, like for instance, St. Joe tonight, they're looking to see who might be the starting quarterback. They have a quarterback derby going on, and they want to see who shines in that. Okay. Most in most situations, though, I don't think you're trying to decide a position. You've probably already made that decision. 
you're trying to give your team a chance to to get one last scrimmage in against an opponent before the season starts next Friday night. Now, don't kid yourself. There have been scrimmages going on this summer, all kinds of them. So this isn't the only time that they've seen their team. But this will be the last time they really get to see their team against an opponent and how people compete before next Friday. And that in itself might decide somebody's playing time. Okay. And you're going out tonight to catch a couple of those. I am definitely going to get to uh, St. Joe and Elkhart Memorial because we have the Crimson Chargers against Elkhart Central next Friday night in the season opener. St. Joe's Field is awfully close to school field, and Adams and John Glenn are scrimmaging there, and those are two teams that I haven't been able to get to practice for, so it would be nice to be able to get some things that we can post online for those. Speaking of posting online, we've been posting at 46 Sports, both on Twitter and Facebook, some of our high school previews, and uh, let's start with the Marion Knights. Got over to practice earlier this week. Michael Davidson now in his second season at the helm of the Knights. And I asked the coach what he felt the strength of his team was going into year two. You know, I, I said in a team meeting a couple of days ago, I, I like the way our offensive line is coming together. And I, if you would have asked me that two months ago, I would have left. <laughs> so, um, no, I think our offensive line is coming together nicely. Uh, defensively, we're, we're flying around. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're going to go where our lines take us. And that's, that's, that's football wherever you go. But uh, we get a good offensive line going for us, and we're going uh, to be hard to beat. Here at Marion, we have a winning tradition. So going into the season, it's always just, I mean, everyone talks about state championship, but you got to take it tie, or game after game. So first you got to worry about just getting through the season healthy and then focusing on the sectional games individually. And then just as far as you can go after that, they all get tougher. So Marion, with that solid winning tradition, you know, they've, They've won, I believe, uh, three straight sectionals. They're they're doing very well. Uh, Then you've got a program also in Mishawaka called Penn. Now, Penn last year had a season where they went 8-3. And And I guarantee you, if I go to most schools and they went 8-3, they've been holding parades and celebrating. But Penn lost to Mishawaka in the NIC finale last year and then didn't win a sectional. That's unusual at that school. And so I started off talking to offensive lineman Johnny Kuspa, one of the seniors, and asking him what will be the difference for this pen team. I think we're going to be working. We're just gonna, we have to work hard. It's like the we're one of the smallest, you know, one of the smaller senior classes that the pen has had in recent years and uh, you know, we got to make up for it with with work and uh, you know, just building our skills. As a team. We want to prepare ourselves the best we possibly can for big game atmosphere and, and our first four games in our non-conference do that very well. And then, you know, to get ready for the NIC challenge and, and that continues to get better and better and better. And then for the playoff run. So uh, our expectations are high every year. And I think uh, how we start off and, and, and who we play in the regular season uh, does nothing but help us in the long run. Now at South Bend Riley, Jarvis Edison has managed to win back-to-back seasons have back-to-back winning seasons and I looked it up it's the first time it's happened there in 25 years now Ron Metcalf had three straight winning seasons going in the 90s so one of the things I asked Jarvis is well what's the foundation of his program right now we need to do on a day-to-day which is just the process 
you know, of, of building our house. We've already got our foundation set to where it needs to be, um, but we're steadily focusing on hammering away and, and straining at the things we need to do to get to that improvement level. That What's the strength of that foundation? It's our, it's our seniors, it's our senior class, and then also just our, our culture. Our culture is a strong point. Um, it's not completely where it needs to be, but I feel like it's, it's made a turnaround and you know, it's, it's a culture that's positive and one that's, that's competitive and uh, working hard. So that gives you a little taste of the high school football scene, and hopefully we can have some more of those to share with you in the upcoming weeks. You ready to step up to college football? Yeah, as a matter of fact, why don't we bring in the voice of the Boilermakers, Tim Newton. He'll join us in 60 seconds here on Sports Yak. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Sports Yak welcomes Mark Martell and the ultimate queen celebration to the Silver Creek Event Center at Four Winds in New Buffalo, Michigan, Saturday night, September 7th. Chuck and Corey are big Queen fans and even bigger Mark Martell fans. So let's put you in the audience that night. Win two tickets to the show. Simply drop us an email at the sports yak with two K's at gmail.com. In the subject line, put Queen. Enter as often as you'd like. No purchase necessary. Winner announced Friday, August 30th. Mark Martell's vocals will blow your mind. We are the champions, my and all your favorite Queen songs performed to perfection. Activate your name today with an email to the Sports Yak. Sports Yak with two K's at gmail.com. We are the champions. We are the champions. We are so pleased on our radio station Pulse FM to be carrying Purdue football and basketball once again this season and the voice of Boilermaker football Tim Newton has taken some time out of his schedule and Tim before we get into talking about Boilermaker football we like to let people in on just who we are talking to and I think a lot of our listeners and and even those who are avid Purdue football fans would be surprised to know you have a scholarship at Purdue named after you. Yeah, we're still trying to figure that one out. Um, <laughs> actually, I'm a, I am a Purdue alum. The scholarship, and it, it's a long story that I'll keep fairly short. There's an alum here who is one of our, was one of our alumni board members. I work full-time in the Cranert School of Management, and I do the broadcasting as kind of a sidelight. There was an alumni who was a board member who I've worked with for years, and, and he's been a regular contributor to the school, and he was so happy with what we had done here in my area that he asked if he could name a scholarship after me. And I said, as long as it doesn't include the word memorial in it, and I'm okay with that. So yeah, uh, John Hoffner is the alum who actually funded that. And um, I'm very honored to have my name on it. I've had a couple of, met a couple of the scholarship recipients that have gotten that so far, and they're both great kids. And and I hope we crank out a lot more. Uh, how wonderful is that? And, of course, you've been associated with Purdue for over 40 years now. You have seen a lot go through there. I have to be really impressed with, with what Mike Bobinski is doing as the athletic director at Purdue in terms of improvement of facilities. Uh, I think it's improvement of facilities. I also think it's um, it, it was just a fresh look, a fresh uh, voice coming in. 
and Morgan, I worked with Morgan Burke, obviously, for 20-some years, and I think Morgan did some terrific things here as athletic director. But as, as every leader knows, your time to lead and your time to step aside are, are both intertwined, and at some point you're going to have to let that next guy come in. And I think that when Mike came in, he came in here with high aspirations. He immediately made it known that we were going to compete for championships in every sport. And I think as importantly as the hiring of Mike Bobinski, there was a little bit of a sea change within the Purdue Board of Trustees and, and President Daniels where they understood the need to not only put teams on the field but to put competitive championship teams on the field. So I think the funding for athletics has certainly increased, and, and you time that with Mike and his great hire with Jeff Brom, and now all of a sudden things, everything's starting to elevate. The basketball team obviously has gone to a different level, and uh, we're hopeful they can remain there. But it's certainly Mike Bobinski has been a great shot in the arm for this athletic department. How much concern was there in the offseason that Purdue would lose Jeff Brom? On a scale of 1 to 10, it was 20. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think literally until the day that it was announced that he was staying, even Mike, uh, Mike Bobinski, I think, found out about a half an hour before the actual announcement went out. Uh, this was a really difficult decision, and I think everybody here at Purdue knew that when that Louisville job came open, that it was going to be a very tempting draw for, for Jeff to go back home where the Brom family is revered in Louisville. And I, I think that nobody was expecting that to happen after year two, but Bobby Petrino had such an awful year and had made so many enemies down there that they, they basically jettisoned him before the season ended. And I think after the bucket game, everybody knew what was coming, and uh, even Jeff, I think, I, I really believe until the actual day that it was announced, he was wrestling with it back and forth. And at the end of the day, I think if Jeff had been here five years, certain, certainly ten years, but maybe even five years, and had some sustained success, he, he more than likely would have taken that job. But I think he feels like he had some unfinished business, and to leave Purdue after two years would have been devastating to the program because I think – Many of the recruits that he had recruited in that top 25 class would have gone elsewhere. And I can tell you with almost certainty that Rondale Moore would have followed him wherever he went. So uh, it was a great day. Uh, we talk about recruiting all the time, but the biggest recruiting coup that Purdue got in the offseason was the coach staying on. Is it true that President Daniels himself got involved in that negotiation? He did. He did. He actually sent uh, Jeff a personal note. Um, and, and I think Jeff... All right, I'm sorry, I, I think that uh, President Daniels and Mike Bobinski were also very um, cautious that they didn't want to overstep. They knew this was going to be an emotional decision for Jeff, and I think they felt that if they pressured him too much that he might just go the other way. But they wanted to make it known that he was very much wanted here uh, in West Lafayette. He was very appreciated, and um, I think at the end of the day, Jeff likes being here. Uh, he, he lives Within, or literally within walking distance of the stadium. Um, he's, he, what you see with Jeff Brown is what you get. He's a football guy. That's what he lives for along with his family. And uh, I think it's a great fit. And I, and I hope, selfishly, I hope he's here for a long, long time. Man, he has changed the recruiting profile of the Boilermakers, hasn't he? He has. And I think one of the big things that we've seen at Purdue in the last couple of decades that has not happened is the ability to compete for top in-state talent. I mean, you look at some of the great players from the state in the last 15 or 20 years, not many of them have come to West Lafayette. So getting George Karloftis from right across the street here at West Lafayette High School was a huge get. 
And I think the other one that, that kind of got people's attention was David Bell. Uh, he's a wide receiver who was recruited by everybody under the sun, offered by the Ohio States and Alabamas of the world, and he decided that he was going to be here. Uh, he, he, this is where he wanted to play because he saw what he could do in, in Jeff's offense. And I think the fact that Jeff had such great success with Rondale Moore and was able to feature him as a true freshman and put him in a position or help him get to a position where he could be a first-team All-American, uh, all of a sudden that opens up some eyes that, hey, you, you can get attention at a place like Purdue. They are going to throw the football to you. It's going to be a wide-open, exciting brand of football, and um, that momentum has continued here under this uh, recruiting class that they're working on right now. You've been around a long time. You've seen Everett and Breeze and Allstott. Have you ever seen a player at Purdue like Rondale Moore? No. Um, when Rondale Moore touches the football, and whether it's at home or on the road, you can hear a collective intake or inhale from the entire stadium because you just don't know what's going to happen next. And that's not at Berkeley. That's anywhere that you that's get a collective anywhere. inhale. I mean, that is everywhere. He is, uh, he is feared wherever he goes. Um, and if you saw, I saw him this year in spring practice. He was walking off the field after practice. He had his shirt off. And I'm not sure where one muscle started and the other one began, but it was just like one continuous muscle from his neck down to his waist. So he's not, as, as we know, he's not a very big guy. Uh, I'm, I'm 5'8", and I look him at least in the eye. Um, but he is, he is solid as a rock, and he has the strongest handshake of any human being I've ever shook hands with, and that's oh, wow. in the thousands. He will break, literally break your hand when he shakes your hand. What was your first OMG moment watching him? Really, it came in the Northwestern game, the season opener, and it was on his – he had a great touchdown catch for his first reception. Actually, the first pass that was thrown to him, if you remember, he dropped. Right. <laughs> because I asked him – I did a story on him for one of the Purdue publications, and I asked him what his most embarrassing moment in sports was, and he said that pass that I dropped at the start of the Northwestern game. Uh, he had a great catch, but the run – he, he, they took the ball in an end around. I think it was a third and one or third and two. Purdue was at about their own 25. And he made a juke on the Northwestern defender that left him on the ground and then outran the entire Wildcat uh, defense down the sideline. And, you know, as, as the play unfolds, you're thinking, oh, this is going to be a nice 10 or 15-yard gain. And, oh, wait a minute, they're, they're not catching him. He's running away from them. I think at that point you knew he had something pretty special. And uh, the, the, the play at uh, Ohio State certainly where he – ducked under three players on the near sideline and scored. And maybe the most amazing play, if you look at it from an athletic point, uh, unfortunately it was in a losing cause, but in the fourth quarter of the Wisconsin game, he made a touchdown catch on a long play where he caught the ball in stride and then at full speed did a 360 to get away from the defender on the run and, and went into the end zone untouched. Um, it, just an amazing, amazing football player. You know, you mentioned that Ohio State game last year, and I was listening to your call. We had just left the Garth Brooks concert here at Nordame, and we had plenty of time to sit in traffic leading that. <laughs> and uh, we did too. Got a got a chance to listen to your call. The other thing, obviously, people remember about that game is the influence of Tyler Trent. How did Tyler Trent touch your life? I got to know Tyler a little bit when he was a student at the uh, at Purdue Exponent, and he right. was covering Purdue football the the year before. The, the cancer came back for the third time. And so I got to talk to him a couple of times. But, um, you know, having two kids that are roughly, my kids are in their, their later 20s, 
but to understand what he was going through and, and think about not just him, but I, I look at what his parents, Tony and Kelly, did. The fact that having a son that has a disease like that is horrible for any parent. But to have that disease basically put on display in front of the entire nation and to see the dignity and the courage with which they handled it and trying to turn the worst thing in the world that's ever going to happen to you into something positive is really inspirational. And I think we use the word inspirational a little bit too often, but this one, this truly is. Uh, I had a chance last March or a few months ago, not long after Tyler had passed, I did a, a program with his parents. And uh, just, again, hearing, hearing them talk about how he was brought up and what he was taught and what he believed, you can understand why he was the kind of young man that he was. But um, as, as I think most people already know, the, the team captains from here on in at Purdue will be known as the Tyler Trent team captains. And I know they're actually uh, uh, going to be getting more honors for Tyler before the season starts. So uh, he, he was an unbelievable influence. We will have a uh, picture collage of him that will hang in our radio booth for the end of time. Oh, that's uh, terrific. That, that, that basically says forever our captain. And uh, he was a boilermaker, and he, was, he fought until there was no fight left. And, no. and it's something that we'll probably salute every time we walk into the booth. Amazing young man. Uh, speaking of young men and uh, people from our area, a lot of people listening to this might wonder, what kind of contribution do you expect Xander Horvath to make this season? Well, you remember I told you that uh, Rondale Moore was one continuous muscle. <laughs> Xander's got a bunch of those muscles, too. He is an impressive-looking guy. Yeah, he uh, he will make the all-airport team. There's no question. You, you make sure he gets off the bus first. Yeah. Uh, Xander Horvath is going to play a big part in this offense, and, and when you've got – that's a big statement saying that when you've got players like Rondale Moore and Bryson Hopkins and David Bell and Milton Wright, who's going to be another standout, um, he is, he's, he's got the ability to run, and I think he'll get more touches from scrimmage doing that. But he's a terrific pass catcher. He's a decent blocker. And I think you'll see him last year he was used primarily in the fullback slot. This year, actually, he'll get more carries, I think, as the lead runner. He and Tario Fuller, at least early on, will probably share the running back spots. Although Purdue's got a couple of pretty good freshmen that'll push for time, but uh, Xander Horvath, and he's he's a great special teams player. So I think we'll see him on on special teams as we did last year. But uh, he's a kid, and you love those stories when when you get the walk-ons that that really come unheralded and and for the most part unknown, and they immediately show on the field that they belong, and he belongs in the Big Ten. Oh, he can play. There's no question about that. I think the one question I do have about Purdue this year is on both sides of the line is scrimmage, Tim. How, how are that offensive line and the defensive line coming along? Well, let me start with the better news first. I think the defensive line is going to be pretty solid this year. Now, that's even not knowing if Lorenzo Neal will be ready for the opener. Lorenzo tore his ACL in the bucket game against Indiana. So you're looking at about nine months from that until the opener at Nevada here in a couple of weeks. Um, he probably won't be ready for it. It's going to be close, but uh, I think they want to make sure that they've got him ready to go in the Big Ten season. Even without him, I think the defensive line is much more stout than it was last year. George Karloftis will be a big part of that. The true freshman is going to play and probably start from that one defensive end position. They've got another freshman that I think is going to see the field this year, a kid named Dante Hunter that they got out of Ohio. And, again, he looks for, uh, the part from central casting. 
But I think they've got some depth now that they didn't have last year. They've got six or seven guys right now that they feel pretty good about. And we get Neal back in there, that adds another. And, and I think the biggest key for the defense this year, and we didn't see it last year, is the ability to rush the passer. Uh, Purdue did not have, excuse me, Purdue did not have a lot of quarterback sacks last year, and and frankly, the the other quarterback left the jer- left the game with a clean jersey too often. Oh, so I know that drove you that. and Pete nuts. I remember yes, hearing yes. that. It, because the problem is, if you if you have to blitz, then that puts guys on an island. But sure, uh, and I think the back half will be better. I think the linebacking core is really going to be solid, and I think that the secondary will be improved. Offensively, that is right now the biggest question mark heading into the opener is what do you do on that offensive line? And, and again, sitting here a couple of weeks away, I'm not sure I can tell you right now the starting five. Um, I know that Matt McCann and Grant Hermans have a pretty good chance to be there. I think Victor Beach is, is probably locked in at the center position, although he missed spring with a, most of spring with a bad back. Um, after that, you've got a, three or four guys that are competing for two spots, and and I think it's, you've not only got to have five that you feel pretty good about, but you really got to have seven or eight. And I think that is the biggest question mark with this team because all that offensive talent won't do any good if Elijah Sindelar is looking up at the stars in that opening game. So that, that's the big question mark about this team right now. So what do you consider a successful year for this Purdue team? Well, if you look at the last two years, it's 13-13, and 13, uh, a 7-6 and six year, a 6-7 and seven year, back-to-back bowls, and Coming off nine and thirty-nine the previous four years, that's a huge jump. Sure, it's time now to make that next step, and and whether that graph goes way up in year three, year four, we're hoping it's year three. Um, if they can get, and this is the huge if, if they can get that offensive line solidified, and I think there's another question mark. Uh, you got a new punter this year and a new long snapper, so that the special teams are going to be a little bit different. But if those things are solidified, I don't see any reason why you can't win eight games with this team and compete uh, for a Big Ten West championship. Now, the difficult thing is you've got a lot of tough games on the road in your division. You've got Iowa, Northwestern, and Wisconsin away from home. So that's going to be a challenge. You've also got a challenging non-conference schedule. With You're at Nevada, which is going to be at altitude. And um, I've seen the long-range forecast. It's supposed to be 90-some degrees at kickoff. Uh, and then you've got Vanderbilt and TCU coming in here, so two Power Five schools after that. Having said that, the depth on this team and the talent on this team is better than it was in 2017, certainly better than it was last year. And I, I believe that eight, eight wins is not an unrealistic goal here for year three under, under Jeff Brom. Two weeks from tonight, you get to hear the voice of Tim Newton calling Purdue football on 92.1, 96.9, and 103.1 Pulse FM as Purdue takes on Nevada. Real quick before you go, Tim, I know you've long associated with Purdue women's basketball as well. Give us a, a preseason scouting report on the Boilermaker women's basketball team. Well, it looks like we're finally going to have a full complement of players, and I'm knocking on all the wood that I can right now as I say that. Uh, you know, Injuries have been a big problem the last few years. The numbers have been low, but they'll go into the season this year with 14 players, and I think probably 10 or 11 of them will see pretty significant playing time. Uh, the three players that we'll hear, hear from the most and that, that need to have great seasons start with the, the uh, seniors, Dominique Oden from Atlanta, who's probably going to be a 2,000-point scorer before she leaves here. Uh, Ariana Harris from Indianapolis, the two-time Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, who's also turned into a pretty good offensive threat. And then Carissa McLaughlin from Fort Wayne, who will be a junior this year. Uh, they've got their most highly regarded or highly rated freshman, 
in the Sharon Versip era this year. Ricky Waltman was a top 40 player coming in from St. Louis. Uh, she's a 6'2 or 6'3 post, and she's going to help inside. But I think what they can do around McLaughlin, Odin, and uh, Harris will determine how far they can go. Certainly getting back to the NCAA tournament I think is a must this year. Haven't been there in a couple of years, and uh, it's a big season for Sharon Versip and the team this year in West Lafayette. Tim Newton, thanks for taking the time today. I appreciate it, and uh, thanks to all the Boilermaker fans up in South Bend. We always appreciate seeing you up there. So a lot of optimism around that Purdue program right now, Corey. You heard Tim say he thinks a successful season for the Boilermakers is within reach, and he put a measurement of eight wins on it. Boy, they've got a a fairly solid, though, non-conference schedule. Nevada, Vanderbilt, and TCU, a couple of Power 5 teams in there. So... Jeff Brom's team is going to get some early tests, and I, I still wonder about that offensive line. You hate to have that unit be such a huge question mark going into the year, but I know they're very excited down at Purdue with the progress Jeff Brom has made. How'd they, how'd they end up last year? Seven and six, Seven and they and went six. to that bowl game and got smoked by Auburn. You'll notice that I managed to avoid bringing that up. Okay. <laughs> Sore spot. Yeah, well, and it should be. They got they got embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Well, the weekend's upon us. Weekend plans? Well, you should talk about your weekend plans because this is a big weekend for you. There's a great episode of Parks and Rec where Chris Pratt's character jumps into the bushes of a neighbor's house and he yells 5-0 because he's about to get busted for toilet papering a bully kid. And that's been our favorite uh, yelling phrase around the house this last week is 5-0, and then we kind of jump somewhere. As I turned the big 5-0 this weekend, and my wife said, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, honey, I want a, I want a nice dinner somewhere in a, like a room that's closed off for just us, and I want to be surrounded by my favorite people on the planet. And she said, all right, I'll get to work. So I hear you made the list. <laughs> I was surprised, but yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I made the list. You made the list. So I am uh, uh, sincerely looking forward to doing that. I don't know if it's going to top the wedding. That was a good night. I don't know if there's any dancing or partying happening. I don't think there's any dancing scheduled. Yeah, I think there's... Doesn't mean it won't break out. Sitting around, telling some stories, and and, uh, having a few laughs, which is also my favorite thing. So that's coming up uh, this weekend. And uh, the kids are coming home. Debbie's like, why do you call them kids? They're not kids. There are kids. Yeah, they are. So I'm excited that the kids are coming home. I haven't seen them in a handful of weeks. So that'll be fun. All right. Yeah. Sounds like a good weekend. Caleb wraps up his first week of cross country. Seems to be handling it well. Uh, he said he got his, uh, they do a mile and a half every other day. And I think he got his time down a couple of minutes. He was pretty excited about good. that. So yeah. And then he's back to school next Wednesday? Wednesday or Thursday? I believe Wednesday yeah. is when Penn starts. And then we're off to a Cubs game a week from Sunday, so for Chloe's birthday. Hers is uh, next weekend. She turns 22, so we'll take her to see the Cubs and the Nationals. Well, Notre Dame has a big weekend of practice this weekend, so we'll get you up to date on that on Monday. We'll let you know if the Cubs could recover from that devastating defeat last night, and we'll inch closer and closer to that first weekend of high school football that's all coming up on the monday yak don't forget we got two contests for you to jump in and be a part of the sports yak with two k's 
at gmail.com in the subject line. You can write either Brickyard or Queen. Brickyard or Queen. Of course, Brickyard, for those Brickyard tickets, Queen will send you to see Mark Martell, who sounds exactly like Freddie Mercury. He's going to be at Four Winds in New Buffalo uh, September the 7th. Yeah, don't hesitate on getting that in because we we want winners. I sound like Mike Singletary. We, we want, want winners. I like it. Until next time, sports fans. Ooga looga, Kai Kai Kyla. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money on